0: Mike, Mike, and Hunter.
1: Back. Welcome once again to another episode of Mike, Mike, and Oscar. I am your co-host, Mike One, co-host also. Mike is here to introduce yet another co-host helping us out today, Michael. Scott
0: Yeager of Challenge Mania and the Challenge Mania live shows is back to talk about the Screen Actors Guild Awards. Uh, Scott, this is, uh, this is a fun little uh, back-to-back, a little home-and-home where we had you on for the nominations and we get you back here for... The winners you are of course a SAG voter last year you were part of the nominating committee uh we've we've found a couple spots on the calendar with Tribeca Mania and now SAG Mania to where we can have you on and uh yeah we love it man uh, welcome back
2: yeah, thanks for having me. I think uh, it's been mentioned before, the, the irony behind this uh, acting strike we had last year, mainly due to Netflix, and then of course coming back from said strike to have the first ever SAG Awards broadcast on Netflix, which I think was a huge upgrade. Obviously want to talk about that a little bit, but mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just got back from an eight-day Disney trip, settled in, had about 15 minutes to spare, uh, watched it on Netflix and thought it was a awesome experience so to be honest with you i'm glad we worked it out with netflix because this i think could be a a great start to a uh you know formidable future for the sag awards and maybe the uh the everyman caring about them just as much as uh you guys and i do what's the best
1: ride uh, ride at disney that you want to (laughs)
2: well to me i think potentially the greatest ride of all time is rise of the resistance which is a star wars ride at uh, hollywood studios which is in fact so immersive and so good that it absolutely terrified my five-year-old which my wife and i convinced to go on it but it is without saying too much and a lot of people do know about the ride but without saying too much you like start on what you think is or what feels like you're going to be on the ride and then you get like taken captive by the by the uh you know the Darth Vader's side, whatever they call him. And, uh, and then you get taken off of said ride and enter into this room with, like, 40 stormtroopers and get escorted onto, <laughs> like, the bad guy ship. And that is, in fact, where the actual ride takes place. But it is really, really immersive to the point where the cast members who are, like, guiding you to your spot online, where normally they're, like, jovial and nice, are, like, sort of short with you because technically they work for the uh, Empire. <laughs> so um, that ride is, like, again, and it, it's not, like, very screen-based. It's still very, like... Uh, the, the way that we love Christopher Nolan and using practical effects, and we hate looking at CGI on the movie screen. I equally hate looking at CGI and screens when I go to uh, theme park. So although there are fun rides that re- rely on like new technology and screens and stuff like that, I love a good ride that just has stuff in front of you, right? Even if it's like a, even if it's a like a statue of John Boyega that's like kind of moving and you can tell isn't really him. I'd rather that than like a video screen in 3D of John Boyega. So, um, <laughs> right. If you ever get a chance, Rise of the Resistance at Hollywood Studios at Star Wars Galaxy's Edge. Is phenomenal. So, oh, and by the way, question for you guys, since you're the first sort of film pundits and experts that I've spoken to, although I'm I plan on like submitting this question to Sean Fennessy for the big picture as well. Do you guys have any idea? Because I certainly don't, because I've never, although I am a member of SAG, I have in, in no way, shape, or form played a role where this would ever, you know, come into my life. Um, like an Oscar Isaac who plays Poe Dameron in Star Wars, and I'm sure signs on for some sort of deal and to do the movie and this and that. What is the like secondary package, if there is one, for him then to star in the ride that is running? I don't know. Let's say six hundred times a day at Disney World that people are paying hundreds of dollars to go on and things My like mind. that. Like, obviously, th- I would imagine that that is probably because it has to do with like these big property things, like Marvel and Star Wars. Like, like for instance, there's a new Guardians of the Galaxy ride, and while you're waiting to go on the ride, Glenn Close pops in to like explain to you how the ride <laughs> is going to work because she has like, for those of you guys who don't remember. Almost Oscar winner Glenn Close plays like a very small role in Guardians of the Galaxy, which I'm sure she's paid like fairly amicably for. But like, for instance, does she get a separate check for this? Is it one fat payment? Do they get residuals? What's the deal with this stuff? Because obviously they probably do it for the love of the game and the fact that they'll like live forever at Disney World. But I would like do we know as like people who know everything about movies and how the Hollywood industry works? Do we know anything about how that works at all? You know what I mean?
1: I, no short answer no but long i mean what i would speculate is that it's all part of when they negotiate with disney in the first place since mm. it's all under one umbrella that they get some kind of a package deal or back-end deal there that their likeness is going to be licensed out in probably perpetuity for as long as the theme park wants to use the the, the attraction would be my guess So that
2: number so that number because like for me that number being, like, you know, obviously a fat number and great, okay, cool, and then you can make endless amounts of toys of me and fine. But, like, they have to go in and shoot, like, essentially another small movie to right. make this right. ride, right? So it is so it is more work, right? So I'd imagine, like, is there, like, you know, on the voiceover end, would it be, like, a session fee, whatever? Or, like, you know, obviously it's more than just likeness. It's performance. Like, on Guardians of right. the Galaxy, this other new ride, Dave Bautista is acting throughout the ride mm. like you're being chased by the stuff. That's not, like, stuff they stole from the movie and repurposed. That is like a new, small, albeit, performance for these huge Hollywood actors that normally get paid millions of dollars to get out of bed. So I'm just wondering, like, if it is just grandfathered into that sweet deal they signed at the beginning, like – do the does the average actor care about this like has I've never even heard it mentioned right like like so it must be so good or so sweet that no one's ever had an issue with it like like there's this Aerosmith ride that's existed since right. like 1992 right. at the beginning of that ride you're like taken into a studio and the guy who runs that uh, who's like in that scene for instance right like uh I, he's like since then become a uh, a pretty big actor i forget i forget his name but he's in uh, he's the uh antagonist that comes in at the end of the Kenny Powers show. Uh, I think his name is Ken Marino, I think is his name. Oh, yeah, yeah, So Ken Marino Marino plays like the recording studio uh, assistant or whatever. He filmed this, probably got paid SAG minimum, whatever, and he is now being watched every day hundreds and hundreds of times at Hollywood Studios in perpetuity, right? And again, he was probably happy to do that at that point of his career. But these huge Hollywood actors that they, of course, need for this big IP and to translate it into theme parks, why don't we know anything about what actors are paid or if they are not paid for these editions? That's what I want to know. It's a great question. Not to start off with a conspiracy theory or anything, but since I just <laughs> did just come from Disney, I have some ad. You know what I mean? Here, I am gearing up for the SAG Awards. All these that we're renegotiating this and that and the other thing. It's like, hey, I want to know what happens if they ever want to make a ride out of my, you know, uh, whatever I do.
0: Because it's performance. It has to be. It has to be uh, something they're paid well for. And like you said, nobody's complaining about it. It has to be. Uh, it cannot be incorporated into the like promotional you know, uh, duties that they have. So that, that makes some sense. But yeah, you had, you had eight days of, uh, of Disney world, right? You went to Florida and then you came home and you're able to, you know, just, uh, settle into Netflix, which I agree with you. I, I enjoyed this experience more than, than not, but you said you had a story about (laughs) coming home to watch this show, Scott.
2: Yes. So, you know, I threaded the needle so, so swiftly you know, like a good Peyton Manning pass over the middle that I did not leave myself with, with ample time. And I've, I'll have i be honest with you, I've been circling with this potential transition moment in my life for a while because I uh, recently went to go log into Netflix in my bedroom and that TV was like, uh-oh. Because I'll just say this, full disclosure, like many of us, I've been, you know, I've been poaching off of my father and, and parents' Netflix <laughs> since the inception of the service, right? Mm-hmm. And they have over the past few years, it's well documented, really been cracking down on password sharing, whatever you call it, But I always thought, you know, in a way, like I am part of their household still, you know, I still have a bedroom (laughs) at their house, like whatever, you know, is this okay? And it was still kind of letting me do it, you know, it was still letting me do it in my living room. And then a few weeks ago or a few months ago, it stopped working in the bedroom. Um, You know, it said, well, if you really do think there's an issue here and you are part of the household, why don't you do this? And I started to do it, but like I realized it was like affecting stuff on my dad's end. So I said just, I just punted on the, on the bedroom. I said, okay, I guess I I won't watch in the bedroom, but it was still working on my phone. It was still working in the, in the living room. So I get home Saturday night, our flight lands, we get back, uh, just awful traffic from LaGuardia, get back to the house with not too much time to spare before the 8 8 p.m. kickoff of the show itself, although they did start an hour earlier with pre-show and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, I go to log in on my TV, which had been Old Faithful, and it is not letting me log in. And I wonder if, again, and this is smart for Netflix to do so, if being like, again, a great big pivot point for them in live broadcasting, obviously they've done live finales for Love is Blind, things like that. They did the Chris Rocks special like did they choose this as like another okay this is where we're going to kick off another 600,000 people who we know are still on their daddy's teat and like and because and they were right to do so because I panicked and I was like uh, uh, uh and I signed up for Netflix so now at age 38 going on 39 here um After returning from a very expensive trip to Disney World, I have finally decided to cave and pay $15 for something I've used every day of my life for the last 20 years. But but so so I so I will say that is sort of interesting because to talk about the value of these live broadcasts like. Every time I've gone to log on to Netflix in my bedroom to like watch whatever or and they've tried to kick me off, I've just been like, ah, eh, I guess I'll watch The Crown later. But because this was live, you know, yeah. because this was live, I didn't want to argue with them. I said, take my money, I'll sign up, whatever, now I have my own Netflix account. And so I wonder if in addition to obviously what's great for the SAG Awards and building up the, the platform and, and making it a lot easier for not just young people but people in general to watch, if also it is adding a value to Netflix – adding something that people need to watch want to watch hastily etc to the point where before, when it's like cracking down on password sharing and this, that, and the inconveniences, whatnot, if, yeah, you're trying to watch Stranger Things, okay, maybe I'll watch it later, or maybe I'll try again, or I'll keep trying to beat the system, or I'll see if my friend Chad has a password. So I will say, you know, mission accomplished, Netflix. Uh, it, You know, whether it costs a lot more than this or not, you got $15 from Scott Yeager by getting the SAG Awards on your platform. So there you go.
1: Yeah, I'm sure it's no coincidence that the, the more they expand their live uh, you know, coverage their live sports, their live whatever. That that's when they're doing more password sharing crackdowns. I'm sure there is absolutely some kind of correlation between those two. You're probably exactly right.
2: Yeah, so that was my fun story, you know, it's not, not very fun, but it, it's interesting, I will say, because it, it is part of the experience, I think, of like, we wonder, like, what's the great what if of all these things potentially moving to streaming and this and that and the other thing. And I think you take some of this stuff for granted. You know, a lot of us are doing it, you know, whether in jest or disingenuously or not, but like you know, a lot of people are you know, sharing passwords, this, that, and the other thing, whether they think they're actually, you know, whether people are pooling money together to just have one Netflix account. Or, like, I honestly do think, like, for a while there it was okay that, like, my dad, by having an account, it was okay that his son in Florida used it and his other son in New York used it. We were all part of the same family. We weren't hiding it. I had a name on the thing. It said Scott. It's not like I was pretending to be Fred, you know? so Netflix encouraged it for years. I mean, they had... They had like a Valentine's
0: Day tweet or a socials uh, program uh, that was saying, uh, you know, promoting love is sharing a password. I mean, they had that forever. Mm-hmm. So uh, Netflix that is
1: five billion dollars isn't going to get paid to the WWE by itself for Raw, though. Might, but yeah,
0: know? no, Netflix is reacting to the whole Scott, stock market. Yeah. Uh, issues that they had and the, and the correction there uh, last year. That's, that's their biggest reaction with all these maneuvers, but live TV is definitely going towards streaming. We know it's coming and I hope, I hope this did well. I, last year, the 2023 SAG awards got 1.5 million viewers uh, on YouTube. I'm hoping that number is dwarfed by, by this year's we'll have to wait and see what that is guys. But, but yeah, I mean, Mike and I, We uh, we were watching the red carpet, Tan France, Elaine uh, Welteroth. Uh, It was fine. We thought the red carpet was pretty solid. Michael, I mean, did you have any takeaways other than like Hannah Waddingham? uh, You know, just uh, smoke show. Walking down the red carpet, I can't. I can't get over how good she looks. She's just stunning, by the way. Every time I see her. But other, other than that, I mean, I, you know, I'm a red blooded man. But other than that, uh, you know, pretty solid red carpet. I thought, or with that, solid red carpet.
1: Yeah, I was. I was late to the red carpet. I didn't see much of it. And I was in and out when I was there. But yeah, I wasn't. Uh, I, I don't really have anything about what I saw. It was. It seemed like pretty standard. Uh, awards fair, which was fine with me. I'm okay with that.
2: I like how much they made, and this goes into the telecast too. But like they, they sort of—I know some ways intentionally, some ways unintentionally—made part of the structure of the show kind of highlighting what the differences and pros would be of moving this off of terrestrial TV and onto streaming, mm-hmm. right? And like one of those, starting with the uh, the pre-show, is that normally what you have is, like, correct me if I'm wrong, I, I know some of the the you know the networks have different pre-shows and this and that and the other thing, mm-hmm. but like normally you're like jumping from channel to channel, like the pre-show's on E, but then the thing's on ABC or whatnot, right. and this was kind of one cohesive thing. Um, I will say it was a little confusing in that regard uh, by making it sort of one timestamp telecast thing where it's like, it starts at 8, but if you go on Netflix, it says it's already starting now at 7. I wonder how many people like went on, saw it had already started at 7 and thought, oh, okay, well, I'm already 45 minutes into this. I'm just going to bail, you know? Like I, So I wonder if in a way they almost made that too seamless on the front end um, because it's one of those things where if you're in it for the long haul, you're watching the whole thing from Jump Street. Great. But if you're not, it does kind of make it seem like you're coming in late, even if you are still twenty minutes early if that makes sense.
1: Was it in on your guys's front page on Netflix? Oh yeah, because I had to search oh, yeah. it out. Well, oh, that's, but that being that's said, it was on the
2: front page of my br- it was on the front page of my brand new Netflix or whatever. You know, so it's like right, so it's right, possible right. that you've just been watching so much stand up comedy that that's like so all that's on your shit. front page. He but watching you out. Know. shit,
0: <laughs> shit, garbage, shit, and that's I,
2: this. Is, I'm I've never been what it was.
0: no, I've never been more embarrassed. You don't have sat the SAG awards like immediately. Uh, algorithm, I had to search, had to search it.
1: Don't well, be embarrassed for me. No, I'm embarrassed. No, if I'm embarrassed and suggest it to
0: me. I'm embarrassed on the behalf of Mike, Mike and Oscar, uh, but but yeah, we had we had we had them do this red carpet show. It's an hour. You're right. You're right. There's no breaks. She's going back and forth between Tan and Elaine. There were a couple of gaffes there. I think they had a teleprompter that like froze out at the end for Tan France where he was trying to get you know whatever, and she's like, "I thought you had a stroke or whoever was next to him." Uh, I think it was the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Uh, actress and uh he's like he, he played it off fairly well he's like you know sometimes you do have a stroke on live tv but he came back and, and promoted it later but other than that like it is fun to have everybody swearing on the stage dropping f-bombs i mean that's yeah. how normal people talk talk it is fun to have in in some cases some of these interviews or re-interviews you know in, instead yeah, of commercial that's breaks that's where you lose me yeah, well neither probably. of you guys yeah, like, like this to how- me no, 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 no! All right, but look—it there's you cannot substitute for Pedro Pascal telling the real story about him and Rory Culkin after an award season where it seemed like they were, you know, fake feuding, but we knew. But but then he tells this heartwarming story of of the reason why they're friends, going back to his days as you know just an unknown uh, play actor, and Rory Culkin complimented him while Rory Culkin was established in the business, and it meant so much to him, and their friends for life, and. Yeah, I mean, that was just a beautiful story. You go back and listen to it, people, but... Yeah, some of the interviews weren't great and don't go
2: back and listen to it if you think you're getting a story about Rory Culkin because it is in fact Kieran Culkin but (laughs) go back and listen to the story about Kieran Culkin because you might be disappointed if you're like wow he went into a nice (laughs) diatribe about Rory Culkin he's not even around there's too many Culkins Um, you're right but no they've had a very no they have had they have had a picture perfect can I just say because Mm -hmm. and I know that we're not we don't normally talk about TV but while we're on the the Kieran and and Pedro thing of it Mm -hmm. they obviously are good friends as, as Pedro just just sort of revealed kind of behind the curtain of it but like from Jump Street so this this weird award season that we had where everything was moved around but then condensed and we had the Golden Globes and then we had the uh, so I think it went Golden Globes um, then Emmys then Critics Choice then this so Kieran obviously you know moves into the uh, lead category ends up winning those first few awards like they're very good friends, obviously, from the personal reasons that Pedro discussed. But they're also both obviously under the HBO platform with their current shows. They've done a lot of the award circuit stuff this year together, and they have like this great bromance going. So from Jump Street, Kieran has this hilarious suck at Pedro in the first speech, <laughs> right? They cut to uh, and they cut to uh, Pedro. He fake cries. Then I believe at another award show, I think Pedro's presenting. I don't even think he won. He presented, but he had some sort of an arm in a sling. He made a joke about how Kieran beat the shit out of him. Mm-hmm. That was hilarious. They've had this great ongoing back and. Now, here's what's hilarious but also fitting about the timing of all this. So the the Emmys, obviously, people still voted a few uh, months back as I think you guys made clear to me um, Mm -hmm. or someone did, maybe Emily Longoretta from Variety. So people had kind of locked in their Kieran vote. People had locked in their Golden Globes vote. But I can tell you the SAG voting ended like, I don't know, eight days ago. I got my ballot in super early because I knew I had to travel and I kind of already knew who I was going to vote for. So I got mine in early. But people were voting up until a week, a week and a half ago for this. People had already seen everything I just mentioned. They had seen this great bromance and they had more importantly seen Kieran get acknowledged like on these huge stages. So in a way, I'm not saying it has anything to do with that, but it's very poetic that here, Pedro Pascal gets the quote-unquote upset here, I think when we go down the line here if we are going to talk about TV especially, a lot of this stuff has become sort of you know uh, very elementary about who's going to win because since we've seen all these precursor awards some of which weren't normally even precursors or would have been a year ago in the Emmys case like the Beef wins and the Bear wins and in in most cases the Succession wins have sort of been penciled in at this point Mm -hmm. obviously the SAG has the wrinkle where you throw in Gams because they don't have supporting so you throw in another Succession Session cast member to vote split. That might have had something to do with it as well. But either way, Pedro gets to come in here, give the speech. He doesn't mention Kieran in the speech per se, but does in the exit room press thing. And so it kind of was the ultimate bow on this awesome awards circuit sort of comedy bit thing that they've had going on. And then for him to reveal kind of the long past they have his friends and him coming up to him in the city and taking his uh was it siblings to F.E.O. Schwartz and all that stuff was great. So um I will say, though, as a voter who sometimes gets bored going with the grain, I wonder if the SAG voting was, say, due in December... Does Kieran just win this as well? Maybe, you know what I mean? Like, I think the the sort of, ah, do I really want to do the same thing that we've seen the last few weeks? Does that contribute to people voting for Pedro? Maybe. Does Pedro and Kieran being out there as such a great duo that are happy for each other unconditionally also make you feel like Kieran would be okay with me voting for Pedro here? Now, yeah. I still voted for Kieran, but that being said, you know, it's interesting that those were the two quote-unquote surprises we had in that Sarah Snuck doesn't win. Uh, that goes to... um I think it's Snook, actually. We all call her Sarah Snook. It's actually pronounced Snook. But So Sarah Snook doesn't win. She wasn't there anyway. That goes to Elizabeth Elizabeth Debicki. And then Pedro Pascal here gets the quote-unquote surprise win as well. I wonder if any of it has to do with the quote-unquote fatigue of, you know, we've seen these same people. It doesn't matter on the beef end. It doesn't matter on the bear end, and we'll get to Idris Elba's joke about that. But like, but I wonder if that the voting timing of this, the fact that everyone had their ballot, and they're like, okay, do I need to do the same thing that we really just saw six weeks in a row? Nah, I'm gonna vote here and here. So anyway, but hated the backstage interviews things. <laughs> I, th- I, I think hilarious, hilarious, hilarious. To add, uh, besides, like you mentioned that cute uh, Pedro anecdote, which we got. Here's what I'll say. Fine. Cut them down, because what I'll say is, what they did was, at the beginning of this telecast, they reveal one of the benefits of having this on Netflix is no commercials, and then they essentially supplement them with something as annoying and skippable as commercials. Yeah. That being said, also, I just thought, the fact that they had no... like What I loved is, the, Jeremy Allen White even joked about it, that they were giving them so much time in their mm-hmm. acceptance speeches. That is a huge benefit to not having like a hard out and it being on Netflix and this yeah. and that, right? So, great. You're not going to get played off the stage, but also... I, they gave them way too much time with this backstage interview BS. I would have, if I were them, have sort of taped those. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I have no idea. Cut them down a little bit. Whittle them down to the, the the few cute beats or whatever. Have them move a little bit more. You know, maybe have some, some crawls on the bottom or whatever. Make them feel more immediate. Because I almost felt, <laughs> not like I like commercials or anything like that, but these were almost like, like painstakingly long in that, like, I felt like I'm watching this and I'm just like, we're just like trying to grasp for moments in time here. And I just wish they would have like done that behind closed doors and then yada yada to the funny bit for me. You know what I mean? I didn't need all of that because it was almost like you took away the benefit of us not having to have commercial breaks, slowing everything down. And you just kept breaks in and you almost made them you know more grueling by the way that they kind of just had no end in sight. And they had
1: other options, too. I mean, I'm with you. I, I I said to Mike, I tweeted this out, like, Tan France is great, but if you're going to have this as, like, your setup in lieu of commercials, you're going to have these interview questions. you got to get someone that's going to actually ask interview questions. You can't have Tan France trying to improvise, oh, my God, look how heavy the statue is, Ayo Debris. Do you work out? Like, you got to ask some questions. Get a sound bite. Get something going, like – the, the Pedro Pascal story is perfect, but I don't know that, that we get that story at all, Mike, if Pedro Pascal wasn't already like two three sheets to the wind. Yeah. Like he admitted,
2: Look, you know? he was – you know what? I, it's funny that he joked about being drunk on stage whatever, and it's like I almost buy that he was because those mo- – like the backstage, like if you notice, like, it was like super quiet. Like most of the time they go backstage for those like press rooms. There's like multiple people in there. You can hear like cameras in the background. There's kind of this organic energy to them. Like mm. most of the time we're like peeking in and out of that stuff. We're getting music behind it because, again, you're going in and out of ad breaks. They had none of that. So it was just two people in a fairly quiet room. It was like well insulated. You could hear all the crickets falling asleep. And the only reason Pedro felt like he had like more of an energy to him is like you said, probably those six martinis he had or whatever. (laughs) So like I almost they need to they needed to somehow like create the immediacy and the vibe that Pedro had in his own inner monologue for everyone. And they couldn't do that because they did it like a little too seriously. And again, you have a host who's like going for the fun vibe and he's like flirting with everybody and this and that. But like for us as viewers, it was just like very dead. Like I, you know, almost wish they had some more music to it or this, that, whatever. Again, all that can be solved by doing that in post, just filming them a little earlier and kind of, you know, whirling them together into a more snackable bite. I think that's what you should do going forward. If you do want to have the, like, this is what we can also do, have like a backstage interview thing, just do it and cut it down and make it move more than they did. This was the first go around. I'll give them a pass, but if you're going to keep it as long as they kept it with this, I would nix it completely.
0: All right. Fair enough. I, I did, uh... I did enjoy the highlights, especially when they're on YouTube. The year before, they they really went all out on the highlight reels, like in between as commercial breaks. Here, you only got maybe a snippet of whatever a, a past recipient of the uh, of the next award to be uh, delivered. But I, I I will say that I I loved little things they did, like the uh, like miking up Lisa Ann Walter as uh, Melissa Shimenti from Abbott Elementary. She was miked up the whole time. And they actually did what you, what you wanted them to do with the interviews. They edited all of the best sound bites from her whole night, where, where she's being hilarious all night. So that, I got a big kick out of that. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so more of that Netflix. I think there's uh, pros and cons. But overall, the broadcast, let's just put it this way light years better than golden globes michael light years better than some sure previous awards it
1: was it was a little jarring though still and i i think it has to do with these backstage interviews that like you have all this extra time you don't have commercials you're on a streaming service and yet still at the end it felt kind of rushed through the last couple of awards And maybe it's because they they did go so long in the backstage interviews. I don't know. But, like, when it came to the final three awards of the night, they, like, they cut it off. They went right into the next one. They cut it off. They went right into the next one. That might just be
0: Jeff Goldblum just
1: babbling. (laughs) (laughs) Could be. Could be. And it was the first, like like Scott says, it's the first time on streaming. It's the first time on Netflix. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But,
0: Scott, they really can't screw this show up too much because we have... We have like the SAG Awards show is kind of put together. We know we got an i an actor opening. We know we got you know the the in Memoriam, Obviously, we know we got what awards we got. But we got you know the the lead ins are structured. The everything is somewhat structured with the show. You got the Lifetime Achievement Awards uh, 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 to Barbara Streisand in this moment. You know she's going to do very well. And and Mike, as you were saying it. It was, uh, everybody was wrapped in that speech, but mm-hmm. I think the one big thing they did this year was the reunions, the devil Wills Prada, Sam and Frodo, breaking bad, modern family, the fly earth girls are easy, whatever, whichever have you, if the Gina Davis, uh, Jeff Goldblum fans, uh, whatever Jeff Goldblum, Gina Davis fan you are, uh, you, you have your, uh, your choice there, but I mean, I just feel like you can't screw up this award show too bad, Scott, cause it's put together already. It's tried and true.
2: Yeah. You know what? I, i would say no i I agree i also just think that for the average person who watches it which again is normally like the really really big awards buff pundit fans actors themselves etc like it it it, it, like you said it's kind of you know you pencil in what you're going to get but it does have a ceiling or did have a ceiling of like a seven right um and part of the reason i think is because but that, that in the past i do think this year to me highlighted a lot of ways it can really like if, especially if not just us are watching it, if the average person is watching it, it can become the award show that actually, you know, lets the immemorium breathe a little longer and includes a lot of smaller character actors because you don't have to put in like the manager or the typist okay. or the, you know, the you know, the, the, <laughs> the publicist, which, which don't get me wrong, for the Oscars, I love that like you're including the entire film industry and stuff like that, but when you're like making cuts, like the guy who shot Gone with the Wind, yes, should be in it, but that does take away a spot from like the guy who was also intent things I hate about you or something who you remember and you're like oh yeah that guy died that sucks you know and so what I loved about this like for whatever reason, this was the first year I really noticed that about the Immemorium. I'm like, oh, wow, I'm seeing all these more people because, A, maybe it's because of Netflix, they have a little extra time, but also because it's acting only, right? Then I think for whatever reason, and this is probably post-strike and maybe Netflix threw a little bit more money or made it, again, these are things you're never gonna know, but like, as far as what they did to get people to come to this show, obviously people come when they're nominated, things of that that nature, but as you said, the idea of doing these cast reunions, I felt like they had a lot of star power in the room. on stage did a really good job with that I don't know if that takes some wheeling and dealing I don't know if that just gets you know you get Jonathan Banks on the phone to, to convince Odenkirk to come or maybe the gift bags are really good or maybe Netflix has some extra money as far right. as like whether they're putting people up and this and that and the other thing I don't again this is something that the average person doesn't really know when it comes to award shows but I would imagine Netflix might look at an awards telecast especially when it's really still one of the few live things they're putting out there as more of a property than like say CBS does or TNT does when they air an award show. Like, are they willing to make more concessions or honestly like, you know what I mean? Like, again, this is something we don't really know about. So when, when you hear like people are presenters and this and that or not, we don't normally find out like, is this person being paid? Is that person not being paid? Is it illegal to pay them? Are they all doing it for free? Have they ever paid someone? Things like that, right? Um, so it's possible Netflix put some more oomph into it. But again, like you're saying, I don't remember season uh, years past where they've had this amount they've been able to do like the through line of the cast you know reunions and things like that because to be honest with you the SAG Awards have always kind of felt a little bit smaller in that regard Um, so this one I think felt bigger I think it will only be able to get bigger if they continue to do it with Netflix I don't know how long the deal is but I also thought that was a great way that this this show moved it made like I'll be honest I was a sucker for not just having physically the Breaking Bad people on this on the stage but Mm -hmm. I was a sucker for just seeing some of these old uh, winner reveals because SAG is always like a kind of off of on its own island in some regards. And because you obviously have the, the cast, like w- when you're going through some of these, like, you know, best of winner lists, like for instance, you know, finding out that, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, uh, the cast won, or like, you know, finding out Sex in the City won this year, whatever. It's kind of a reminder of like who had the championship belt for that year, mm-hmm. particularly mm-hmm. in TV and things like that. So I was almost enjoying those highlights more than you would say on the Oscar end because we've all seen Sally Field. In her highlight a million times you know i hadn't seen what it looked like to see stanley from the office get a sag award before i just had whether i had or hadn't i didn't remember it you know what i mean so i found that to be really great um A lot of these little things I thought really separated this from the other shows. I just wish they would double down on them a little bit more categorically. Um, I also thought, like, things that I find to be super boring on the Oscar end, where we have to introduce every single, uh, we have to introduce every single, um, was best picture at the uh, the Oscars, which I think slows everything down tremendously. I thought it was fine here because you only had the five or six noms. And I -hmm. thought it was a great way to get those casts on the screen, on the stage, even, even though, like, obviously. I don't, in, in this case especially, 90% of them were never going to be on the stage because Oppenheimer just railroaded. So, like, that was a great way to get a few of the people from Barbie on stage and a few people from Color Purple on stage and things like that. I enjoyed all that. So – um and, and my question to you is this, did I miss an announcement that Idris Elba was the host of the show? Was he not the host? Is this like a having your cake host and eating it too kind of thing? What was the deal here? Because he segued from being like one of, you know, Hannah and Coleman and Michael doing the open to like coming out more times than that and like sort of being the closest thing you would use to describe a host in this scenario. Did I miss something that introduced him as being that, or, or was this a surprise to you guys as well? No, Variety came out before the show started and said that there
1: was definitively no host, as there usually isn't for the SAG Awards, but that Idris Elba would play a big role in kicking off the show and throughout the night. So, I mean, I guess it was it was like an open secret that he'd be there a couple times, but he wasn't officially tabbed as the host, uh, at least in the trades. Yeah, I don't Well, I don't I'll say
2: it was pretty good pretty good audition for potentially hosting sure. something in the he future. he was great. I forget if he has or hasn't because he was, I mean, some of the stuff they wrote for him would have been absolutely cringe in anyone else's mouth, like bragging about being the two-time winner, things like that. Like, he is lucky he is probably the most charming person in the world right. uh, and continue to be so. <laughs> and then like, obviously, the, the whole joke about a restaurant being called The Beef and the other place, the other show being Beef, obviously he throws in the word the there again, so there's a little bit of a flub with that joke, whatever. And like, you know, again, God forbid it was Joe Coy doing this, you know, so I do think (laughs) Idris Elba's, you know, charm and obviously, you know, being part of the acting crew here, you know, gave him a little bit of a, uh, you know, a longer leash with some of the flubs and things like that, and then you also have to imagine, because he's not uh, the host or being paid accordingly, whatever, probably didn't come in for weeks and weeks of rehearsals and things like that either, so um, I was pleasantly surprised though, for like, what they do with the blocking and the people walking in, like, I do assume these people get there a little bit early to do this or whatever, but like and granted, they're actors, they should know how to be on a mark but like, there's a lot of moving parts As far as like, you know, her walking to him and him walking to her and coming to the stage and it does have this really organic three sixty feel and for the most part I think it went off pretty much without a hitch. So um I'd say Ace is all around. Like again, the SAG Awards typically top out at like a seven for me. I I would say that in a year that had almost no surprises whatsoever, which, again, sometimes can contribute to the enjoyment of an awards broadcast, this had none of that. I thought that this was like an eight and a half to a nine. I thought this was a very enjoyable, snackable. If you cut down those behind the scenes interviews and you really got this to a nice, tight two hours like they claimed they were going to do, like, yeah. I really do think this would have been like a nine or ten out of ten.
0: They could have structured it so that they got rid of a few of those interviews, and then actually had the Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning presentation, or at least some highlights from Mission Impossible: Dead Reckoning would have been fun. Uh, Tom Cruise could have been on the plane saying, "Oh, thank you for this award," and then jumps off of it. I mean, well, whatever. I, I just <laughs> so like, they you, did
2: that. <laughs> they did that off that that award continues to be done off of. Uh,
0: yeah, that was during the red carpet. Telecast? So that's a bummer. Let The Last of Us won the TV award. The, the stunts. Uh, And and Mission Impossible. So
2: so let me just ask what what would be the reasoning Netflix to doing it that way when you seemingly have no like like do you guys really genuinely feel that like another three minutes of I O backstage because again when you throw in all that stuff that they pumped in like what would have been the downside of having one person come out you could add like (coughs) you know Jean Claude Van Damme would have been like hilarious (laughs) have him come out and give out the award for both stunt ensembles. And let some of those people come and hit the stage, like separate yourself from the the status quo with this award show. Like, again, that would have been another way to highlight what doing it on Netflix can do. And I still don't understand the purpose of a cat on a show that has such few categories to begin with. Right. We could talk about that, too. It's like, again, been a gripe of mine, like. It already has such few categories. Why are we cutting two of the categories? Like the one category that sort of separates you from every other award show. You're the only people, other than I believe the stunt, uh, actually, you know, the, obviously the 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 stunt awards or whatever that mm-hmm. even highlight it. And then you don't highlight it. It's the weirdest thing in the world. I like in that regard, especially moving over to Netflix. Big misstep, I think. Going forward, they really need to get that onto the telecast because that's another way that you could point to. Hey, we're we are better than. We are, we are more organic than we can actually, you know, talk about all our awards and do so in a timely fashion.
1: They should present it as a stunt, like they should have a car go into a wall and have it be revealed who the winner is or have someone jumping out of a plane and the winner on the parachute or something. That'd be unique
2: brilliant yeah. or they could like stage a thing that looks what about if you staged like a fight or something like that whatever yeah and then at the end the big reveal the big reveal was like actually this is the uh uh stunt team from mandalorian they just won blah 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 give it up for that yeah. boom and they get to do like even a little performance i going back to disney world i went to the uh indiana jones stunt show at uh, Hollywood Studios, which is like this big meta, sort of like they're doing this, they do basically a stunt show while they're explaining how stunts work and this and that, and it's like a fake movie set and whatnot. And it's like you could easily, I'd imagine these people could throw something together, uh, whether it be a conglomerate of the people who are nominated or again, even the winning team or something like that. I can't like we keep talking about like what would be cool awards to add to these things, and yeah. you know, obviously the new casting category being added to the Oscars and things like that. And I still don't even think that we know how to deal with the ones we have. You know, it's like you know, we joke about this, it's like with with, with the uh, you know, everyone always I mentioned messages just to you guys privately about the stunt category maybe moving over to the Oscars, and to me the SAG Awards don't even treat that with the regard that they should. And secondly I think that much like I fear this casting category is going to sort of double for the, you know, best picture kind of thing, whatever. Like I, I almost think if you moved stunt over to the Oscars, it would sort of also turn into that visual uh, visual effects category where it ends up, again, nobody really cares you know, it's all these movies that for the most part, other than a Mad Max, Fury Road or whatever aren't really nominated for other Oscars it's like the big blockbuster you know movie awards, Mm -hmm. whatever, and no one could tell you ever what actually won at the end of the day, and they kind of yada yada over it, that's, I mean I could tell you that's definitely what they would do if they added stunts to the Oscars, because here we are at SAG where stunt people should be propped up if anything and they're not even putting it on an endless broadcast on Netflix, so big fail with that, I think. Well,
0: Mike and I have said it for years, we have wanted them to mm-hmm. get innovative with how they present these awards on a nationally televised broadcast and like you said you could do something fun and, and, and live performance with stunt ensemble and a motion picture at the SAG Awards but even if you did not want to go that to that length just so just showing clips of all these stunts and then like you said give them give them a round of applause if you got this stars only thing about hey, we're only going to have stars only on our broadcast we're going to put a microphone in front of these stars and And that's really it. And I get it. That's, that's, you know, it's a hybrid or whatever. It's, I get aggravated with it too, because I I do love the equal opportunity speech giving of the Oscars. But even if you didn't want to go to that route, you could show clips and that would be a a beautiful part of the evening or or voice cap, uh, voice performance or mocap or all of these different acting categories that you could have. You could have a montage that really sums it up and and makes it fun, but they, they don't do it. Mm And, Yeah, the Oscars got to innovate as well, and they're not doing that either.
2: Yeah, my my two picks for adding categories to, like, the SAG Awards would be, like I've said in the past, like, would be an animated or mocap performance, right? I think maybe start off with SAG Awards, if not, if it's never going to get to an Oscar level. But I think that'd be, again, when you're highlighting just performances and you're not – wasting time on sound or screenplay and whatnot there's no reason you shouldn't be able to add something like that um and then also i mean this is another one i'll throw out there it you know to to talk about people who are sort of omitted almost completely this year um not for this reason per se although i wonder if it was eligibility related i forget but like Why not a performance in a foreign language film or a international feature type uh, in a separate category? Now, that being said, should that mean that those people should be disqualified for transcending that category? No, similarly in the Oscars, you can be nominated in that category, international feature and also best picture, fine. But I do think also people do subconsciously probably you know, connect more with English performances than international performances. So I, I do think it would be cool also to see who people voted for as the one that resonated the most with them among the ones that they kind of had to read. Because look, there there it is a little bit di- more direct to your synapses when the person is acting and you're also hearing what they're saying and it directly translates to you. When you're evaluating the performance, visually and sonically, but you also have to read to find out what they're saying, it's a little bit different. We did obviously the, see the Parasite cast win, right? You know, we uh, I believe we saw Everything Everywhere All at Once win where there, a lot of that movie is in another language. But like, I, so so, what I'll say is like, I, I do think those are two ways in which we could spread it around a little bit more, get some more people on the board. And if you were to say, hey, there's too many film categories already, I would say, granted we're movie guys on this show and, and obviously like I love TV as well, but like, you know, Having a whole category for TV movie at this point, I feel to be like as as an albatross and as an extra unneeded thing as one of these categories being added would be, in my opinion. Like, I think like these things add to like the year that was in movies and the year that was in entertainment as much as like like you're going down the list. And I'll be honest, like when I do my ballot every year, I try my damnedest. I I see every film performance or at least try to. I think I missed one this year. Um Shouts mm-hmm. to Coleman Domingo. I'll say it right now. I I, I did not get to, to watch this movie yet. Um, but on the TV end, I will more than often than not hope to have at least seen most of the things nominated or in the case where I know like, OK, nobody's taking my vote here from Succession or nobody's taking my vote here from Sarah Snook or whatever. I won't waste my time. But I will tell you that almost on a yearly basis in that limited series slash um, television movie category. It's often I haven't seen any of them, you know, like and and so I, I'm not saying take that category away. I'm just saying, though, you know, there's a little bit of a little bit of fluff here that I think we could spread around more as well. So those would be my two votes for adding categories to the SAG Awards. And then maybe they can at, at some point transition into other award shows. But like if we're going to be nominating in on uh, these huge award shows, the best animated film of the year, like wouldn't it be interesting to know who delivered some of the best performances in those movies? Like how do these movies get better than the other, right? It's like, it's not just the drawing. You know what I mean? Um, and some of them it is, right? If a movie got nominated for Best Animated Feature and got no nominations on the acting side, then yeah, it is because of the themes or it is because of the, the drawings. But, like, you know, you hear about some of these great performances. I haven't seen it, but I hear, like, Robert Pattinson has this batshit performance in The Boy and the Heron. And, like, I obviously love, like, Jake Johnson's performance and uh, Brian Tyree Henry's performance in uh, Spider Verse over the years and things like that. I loved Brolin when he played Thanos. We obviously, for years and years, have heralded Andy Serkis for his work and stuff. Sure. Sure. And so, like, is it enough to permeate through these other categories, these larger categories? No, maybe not, probably not. But, like, on their own, you know, it could be nice to, to highlight things like that. Bradley Cooper for, I mean, th- this is probably how he gets his Oscar eventually, right? It's like <laughs> by playing Rocket Raccoon, right? Not by playing Leonard Bernstein. But anyway, I digress.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad we, uh, we kind of broke the show down. Uh, from all these different angles because it is the first time on netflix and we have been we have been discussing how to you know change these award seasons for the better to get the, the higher ratings. so hopefully it did well on netflix we'll have to report on that uh later in the season but yeah let's let's dive into these big five categories essentially uh we mentioned mission impossible taking stunts but we do have female actor in a supporting role Daveine joy randolph wins she delivers a really nice speech uh, yet again, and this one kind of culminates in the uh, the pep talk of uh, shouting out actors who have st- still not gotten their breakout role, and she does mention that they're all one role away, as many people have said, but yeah, we have supporting performances sweeping yet again, this has become a trend, guys, eight of the last ten years, we've had at least one sweeper in the supporting categories, D- Dave Joy Randolph has won literally wall to wall, and I think... You know, it's inevitable now that we have uh, her taking this Oscar. I don't think, I I mean, I don't think it's even a question. Her odds now in Vegas are minus 1,300 to minus 10,000, Scott.
2: Yeah. And I mean, they should be with, with what she's done sweeping the precursors. I want to preface this by saying, I thought she was great in the movie. Right. Um but I want to include not just her, but some of these other like people who sweep across the board, the Laura Derns of the world for marriage story and things like that, where where when you look back at the like you said, the the kind of how a lot of these supporting performances just get penciled in. And just like they sweep all the way around like you would think they are like transcendently like you would think they're on the level of like a Heath Ledger as the Joker in Batman, which in addition to him, obviously, tragically passing away is like a transcendent performance that people still refer to all the time as like a way to describe performances. Right. It like, you know, and that's just an example. But like, you know, and I don't think, and no offense to her or the film, I think the film is like delightfully small and quaint. Her performance was perfect in it; she was great. I've obviously I enjoyed hearing her interview on Mark Maron. She seems to have like so many layers to her career and past and things like that. She seems like someone who's primed for like a great twenty-year career that we're going to look back on. This is the not the start of, but like the really great you know uh, spotlight on the start of. And I just think that like I will say, it almost like does. Maybe I'm the only person who feels this way, but almost like does the performance a disservice to like herald them in such high regard where I just don't like it's not her fault. It's not the movie's fault. I just don't think it's worthy of that. Like and that doesn't mean I don't think it was great. I just sometimes get I'm like baffled at who the industry and what the industry decides to cling on to as the like, well, duh, this is the one. Sometimes it makes perfect sense. And sometimes I just don't get it, you know? And that's not to take anything away from her and what she did here. I just don't even think that this role or this movie or this part was sort of meant to be something like 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 when when uh, Daniel Day Lewis plays Lincoln, you kind of get it, you know, Uh, and like even in a regard in a movie that I didn't really love. But like when when Renee Zellweger plays Judy and, you know, whatever, I okay, I get it and everything like that. And like uh, I'll give you another great example, Daniel Kaluuya in in, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah. I totally get it in that regard. Right. Like to me, that was like a transcendent performance. This one, I just don't see as that. And that doesn't mean I don't think it was phenomenal. I just don't see it as like, like when I look back on this year, I wonder, was it a competition thing? Was it just, was was supporting actress, which is technically typically a very strong category, a little bit softer this year? I'll be honest, I voted for Penelope Cruz, who was in a movie I didn't even like. Uh, it doesn't even come into my top 20 films of the year. I thought Michael Mann made a lot of mistakes with the movie. Uh, I didn't love the movie, but I thought she was just like, outstanding in it this the short clip that they showed of her during the sag awards from that movie reminded me like wow she's just doing this like a plus level work in this c plus level movie but like so for me i remember like when i was voting for her i was like wow am i really voting for her i guess i am wow um because like typically you like to at least like the movie um but not to say i didn't love dave joy randolph i just don't I- i'm a little bit surprised that she's being swept up in this like unconditional penciler in every time out do you, do you guys agree with that at all like i almost feel dirty saying it because she's so beloved at this point and i i love her as well i'm just shocked that this performance in this one is one of these you know that we're getting here swept up and there's been a lot of them lately don't get me wrong it, this is the latest
1: it's been a trend over the last 15 20 years especially in the supporting categories and it's i mean i, I get what you're saying in that like You're going to look back at this in 20 years, and you're going to think, well, this did just as well as something like Heath Ledger did for The Dark Knight in terms of sweeping everything it could have swept. And maybe doesn't, like, apples to apples live up to that kind of performance. But there's all kinds of narratives surrounding the supporting categories, too. I mean, sometimes they sweep because it's the biggest case of category fraud, quote, unquote. Like, I mean, Viola Davis and Fences is an example of that. And sometimes they sweep just because... It's it's a case of following the leader, and you know we know we know that the Critics' Choice likes to mimic what they think the Oscars are to do. We know that BAFTA tries to mimic what they think the Oscars will do. So I, I mean, it is interesting. Why is it just? Why is it so heavily skewed towards the supporting categories versus any other that this happens in where these sweeps do occur? It seems like
0: I look at this category, guys, and I in a way I'm with you because it, it's not that showy performance, but in another way I'm. Kind of very happy that she's winning here. Her scenes are the most affecting in that film, and that's an emotional film for for me. It's one of my favorites on the year. But that scene in the bedroom where she's placing, you know, the the baby, the baby stuff, and in, in the drawer, it's incredible. She she does transform the the accent. And like you said, you're you're a little surprised that she swept everything, but then again, you voted for her, and I'm the same way. Like, I'm a little surprised she swept everything, and yet I voted for her. but I
2: didn't – I didn't vote for her. You know, oh, that's okay. the thing. I was well, like, well, I well, look, came I mean, down to it wh- –
0: I I I, vote, I would have voted for her if I was an, actually an actor. I'm not, but she's number one on my list because I'm looking at this category, and I'm like, all right, well, Julianne Moore, Jodie Foster, I'm a big fan of both of those performances. They've won before, and the the performances are a little odd for my liking. Like, you have this offbeat sports movie in Nyad. It's not what I expected uh, out of a sports movie from, from the two documentary filmmakers there, even though I like the performance. So she's got the one blowout scene, but otherwise she's kind of... Just be bopping around in that one, Jody Foster. And then Julianne Moore is playing this despicable character who's very elusive that entire film, even though the performance is very good, but it's over the top. And I'm looking at this category where Carrie Mulligan was rumored to be in it and she kinda she just said to be the lead in my show, even though I could I could have seen her being a category fraud example, you know, pushed down. I could have seen Lily Gladstone being in this category. We said it for months uh before the, the year got started. And before we knew that she was, I mean, and Vegas had her as the betting favorite back when uh, we did a David mm-hmm. Long show. So I look at this category, Mike, I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think Davine Joy Randolph, at least she's my best performance left over based on how the sh- category shook out.
1: It's two different kinds of sweeps too in the supporting categories this year. I mean, there's, there's that one with Devon Joy Randolph. And then there's what you think would have been more, competitive in the supporting actor side, except that I mean that seemed narrative driven from from jump street from the word go early in like March or April of last year where everyone was like, Well, Robert Downey Jr. is winning his Oscar. Yeah, good call by you too. Uh, Well, that's, that's been the where everyone who's ever had anything to say about the supporting actor category, even before Oppenheimer came out was saying, well, this is, I mean, it's Robert Downey Jr. He's winning the Oscar. It doesn't matter. And you would think like, I mean, at least you and I, Mike, we, you know, we're such in love with that Gosling performance from Barbie. And we think that would have been way more competitive. And Robert De Niro's name was there all year, but it doesn't matter i mean it's sometimes the narrative says it's this person's year and it's this person's year and it's robert downey jr's year that doesn't mean that i don't think that the that performance lives up to the worthiness of it either i think he's the best supporting actor performance of the year personally myself but i mean he having a performance that good on top of the narrative this was
2: gone let me give you a for instance all right (laughs) hypothetically okay hypothetically if lily gladstone runs in supporting Okay, I think we all know that that means Emma Stone kind of runs away with Best Actress, right? Mm-hmm. It means that Margot Robbie probably sneaks in for the fifth spot, right? Mm-hmm. And gets in there at least, but doesn't win. But okay, this is on the Oscar end because she did get nominated here, and then Lily Gladstone, who has not won every Best Actress award, and you know splits with when Stone's eligible and when they're both in separate categories, they both win. If she moves over to supporting. Right. With obviously the regard for that performance, but then also the uh, it's a, you know, borderline lead. In fact, it was put up as lead. So in that regard, it is. Um, What does that do for Davine Joy Randolph? Do they split? Um, Does Lily Gladstone sweep? Does Davine Joy Randolph still railroad and does Lily Gladstone not win any? Um, What do you what say you there? Because to me when you look at someone who has railroaded the, the way and steamrolled through this award season as Dave Vine, Joy Randolph has, you would assume that that kind of means that it would beat anything, even if it kind of moved into the category. Um, and I don't know that that's the case. Like, I do think that, you know, Lily Gladstone coming in there, I wonder if she then would be the one who went through that category. And do we even have Dave Vine winning any other than maybe like the Spirit Awards and things like that?
0: I, would, I guess, would think
2: it'd be close. What about, Mike, go ahead.
0: I would guess Lily Gladstone would have edged out most of these awards. I, I would have – look, I'd be honest. With Lily Gladstone would have swept the supporting category, in my opinion – uh, just if I was forecasting in another life. That being said, if when you when you compare the two performances, Dave and Joy Randolph is a true supporting role here. And if you would probably mapped out the screen time, which I know they do, uh, the the, the uh, online and I, we follow the guy who does it, I, whose name I, it always escapes me, but he does a beautiful job, Matthew something, I, beautiful job. I'll have to shout him out at another date here, but. Lily Gladstone is probably has it probably has like five times the amount of screen time that Dave and Joy Randolph has. So it, I get why she's in the lead category, even though in the story she does disappear from it for a long stretch. There's no question about it in Killers of the Flower Moon. So I wonder, I wonder in that alternate future in this other spot in the multiverse, what would have happened? My guess would have been Lily Gladstone, Mike, but uh, I don't know. Maybe, maybe like you're saying, it's it would have would have gone back and forth.
1: I just think apples to apples, if Gladstone's doing this well against Emma Stone's performance in the lead category, and Emma Stone is pretty much the entirety of the Poor Things movie that she would have gotten recognition, at least to the uh to the level that Divine Joy Randolph has. So yeah, I think it would be I I just I, think it's, I, I think it would be it's close. Like... I don't know that she'd run away with it. I don't know that she'd sweep
2: you know how we joke about like capital a acting like you know like this person's doing the most acting are they doing the best acting sometimes it's both right uh and you talk about how you know like like for instance that clip they show of annette benning at the end of of where she's just you know she looks like a a newborn baby that's just you know come out with you know perfect diction um but and like and like lily gladstone obviously has a lot to do with that a lot to do her performance obviously towards the beginning the movie is subtle but then there's a lot of physical uh physicality towards the back half where she's you know being poisoned and this and that and the other thing, um, to me, it's interesting. Like Divine Joy Randolph, I believe, is doing a lot more subtle work, which I often uh, like. Wish more performances like that did get heralded. I just find it interesting when, like, for instance, those those do manage to poke through, and when they don't, you know, like when it, when a performance. You know is often just like too subtle to kind of move the needle or even be considered as the more flashy performances and then sometimes when it's just right and it manages to for whatever reason break through and sweep the uh, supporting uh actress category completely whereas like so i wonder this would have been a great showdown between lily gladstone who I yeah. think gets to do both things, but also does have that very physical performance and whatnot. Obviously, Emma Stone really going for it, right? Um, seeing one of those in this category against Dave Joe right because you didn't really have you don't you didn't really have that the kind of you know apples and oranges race here it was just kind of ju- just 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 divine from from the get-go and look again she's so well liked rightfully so it's like hard to argue about it you, you don't you don't really and again i didn't really have uh, a horse in the race either when again i ended up voting by process of elimination for penelope cruz which i thought was in a vacuum the strongest performance but like um by no means did i feel super strongly about it i almost voted for david randolph it might have you know if i want to put my cynical hat on myself. It might have just been me wanting to kind of get a little bit more creative, put my own stamp on it, uh, maybe more than I could have or should have. But, um, you know, I I, I I just I find it interesting that this is going to be one of those where I mean, it is, I believe, I think on paper, statistically like the most awarded Performance almost of all time, I believe. Right, it's among the most consistently right. Like she has not like even some of the ones we've talked about her that I used as examples. There were other people that crept in. Part of that, I believe, is also this movie by being a smaller movie has been eligible for everything throughout. Whereas like some of the larger movies, obviously, um, don't don't show up at some of the smaller awards. But um, anyway, yeah. Look, doesn't mean not me saying I disliked her performance at all or anything like that. And I certainly enjoyed the holdovers, but um, it's a function to see it as. It's a function of the
0: character, too, though, excuse me, uh, because we have we have uh, such a beloved character winning here. We've seen that in the past. Mike and I used to do retrospectives like the Alan Arkin just steals your heart type of character w- wins the award and yeah i mean look ryan gosling i mean th- this is a category of villains plus sterling k brown in a way uh supporting actors so sterling k brown is a heartwarming character there that that might got, might have gotten him the nomination but i mean gosling was a surprising character type in barbie and and obviously robert downey jr a surprising character type from him a different switch for him so yeah th- these are it's interesting I think these are formidable performances and I, I would agree with you Mike. I was surprised that Gosling didn't at least take something throughout the mm. year but no I mean it's you wouldn't bet on it. I mean the, the gosling odds are you know minus 10,000 in some books minus 1300 at best best you're gonna find so it's prohibitive to bet it but uh, we the, these other two categories you could actually bet I would say like female actor in a leading role. We we've talked about Lily a bit right now, but this now changes the race. There's no question about it. Lily Gladstone taking the SAG Award, for me, was the surprise on the night. I did think Emma Stone had the momentum after BAFTA, but this is this is a huge win. Now you have Emma Stone with Golden Globes, Critics' Choice, and BAFTA. Gladstone now has, has Golden Globes Drama, plus uh, the Screen Actors Guild. So yeah, I mean, let these pundits fight to the death on this one, guys. Emma Stone is minus 187 to even, in terms of her Oscar betting odds as of this morning, and Gladstone is minus one twenty to plus one ten. I mean, you say what you want Ooh, about the uh, I anonymous would, Oscar I would take ballots, that. Oh. yeah. But Sandra Huler is fourteen to one, and yeah, Clayton Davis's ballots were funny this uh, week or they were fun to read for sure on Variety there. He did like a dozen anonymous Oscar ballots, and Sandra Huller kept showing up. But look, I mean, you could even play devil's advocate to an extent. Like, is this race close enough where a third person could come in from an outside lane and and, and surprise? But I, I, I no. wouldn't think so. No, I wouldn't think so. Well, so. I
2: look, at 14 at fourteen to 1, if you want to throw $10 on her, I got nothing wrong with There's nothing wrong with that because mm-hmm. cause there is certainly weirder things have happened. It was the year you know that – it's not necessarily a dead-on comparison, but that year that everyone thought it was Glenn Close, and if not, it would have been Lady Gaga, and then in comes Olivia mm-hmm. Coleman. Like, this is sort of similar in that regard. Um, and granted, the fact that she wasn't up for SAG yeah, and but... there's the huge international contingent for – look, I don't see it happening, but again, Coleman... if you want to throw $10, on it. Coleman yeah. won BAFTA that year, yeah.
0: so yeah, yeah. but uh, you're right, you're right, you're right. I mean, we've seen like wild surprise, like Marsha Gay Harden was a wild surprise uh, way back, but uh, otherwise, it's it's very rare that they just come out of nowhere, kind of, but uh, I tell you what, I tell you what, this is, this is the one category where we can really sink our teeth in, I think, because you have two award shows with shared votership at the Oscars, BAFTA, we know, is a a major crossover, and they went Emma Stone. And now SAG, you can make the argument that the the SAG voting body, Scott, is so huge that what is the real crossover here, and was this just everybody watching Killers of the Flower Moon instead of uh, poor things? Because that was my question to Mike. It was like, which movie did they watch more? Because these performances are undeniably good, both of them. So which movie did they watch
2: more? And it does appear... Little I think everybody. I itch. think everybody. I don't think it's a movie watching. Because here's what I'll say. There's a couple things to this that I think go into the Emma um, Stone versus Lily Gladstone in the Battle Good. of the Stones. Um, yeah. Is is I think that I think enough people have seen Poor Things because I, I certainly think you know uh, with the with the screeners and everything like that, which is obviously non documented viewing. That movie has made I believe over a hundred million dollars worldwide. So so for a movie of that size and stature, like it's not even just that uh, actors are watching this and voters are watching this. People in general have watched that movie. So as far as like movies that weird, it has to be among the most watched movies that have like you know sixty total minutes of morbidly obese people having sex with Emma Stone that have ever been made. So. <laughs> (laughs) So I will say that, like, I don't think that movie has a lack of being seen problem, nor do I think Killers of the Flower Moon does. Um, I think that there's two things working against Emma Stone. One is that, uh, you know, Oscar she already has, which makes it, you know... And I think this is why, again, to go back to the the Dave Vine thing, sometimes you will see when these people unconditionally sweep, what do they have in common? A lot of the times, it's a first-time winner Mm -hmm. thing. So you go back to Laura Dern, obviously, like career achievement, she had been around for a long time, but she had never won. Brad Pitt, right? Never won, right? So, you know, I think with Dave Vine, that helps. And I think with Lily, that helps, right? I think what also helps is, and don't get me wrong. Poor Things was not my movie. I did not like it, but I I, I loved, I, obviously, I don't want to say loved. I appreciate and respect what Emma Stone did with it. She certainly would have been on my ballot as a nominee. Um, I have her below Lily Gladstone. I also had her below uh, Margot Robbie, who I voted for. But, like, what I'll say is, is that with Lily Gladstone, she has become, and rightfully so, like, a representative of what sort of like needs to be like about that movie, right? So it's like, you know, we we, we talked about, and I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit more when we get to ensemble, the sort of cruel sadistic nature of the way that they actually do the ensemble uh, of who physically gets a statue. And like, which for Killers of the Flower Moon in that instance pushed all of the Native American actors down the call sheet to where most of them, if not all of them were ineligible to actually receive an award had it won, Mm other than Lily Gladstone, right? Lily Gladstone becomes, rightfully so, sort of the face of all of those people, not just the actors, but thematically, the role that those people play in the story and the movie, which for a lot of people was not large enough. A lot of people don't love that the movie kind of centers on Leonardo DiCaprio's character. The book also centers on another sort of white male character, albeit the Jesse Plemons one, but still. And so I think that in a way, it's sort of like, I don't think people are literally voting this way, but it is like making them feel better about all of the regard for the De Niro's and the DiCaprio's and the Scorsese's and the movie itself for Lily Gladstone to get the the recognition that she's getting. It's sort of green lighting, all that other stuff, not being okay, but going down a little bit smoother, you know? And so I do think that coupled with the fact that she's a first time winner, not just a first time winner for herself, but she would be a first time winner, I believe uh, for, uh, just a a native winner at at all. Right. I think it was for the SAG award. I don't know if for Oscar, but like, so a lot of trailblazing in that regard. Um, and so that coupled with the fact that stone has, you know, her name etched in stone already, I think is why a lot of people voted for Lily at SAG and a lot of people are going to vote for her at Oscar. So
1: I'm just, I mean, I'm, I'm like everyone else. I'm just thrilled we have this race. I mean, I think... I I wonder how much good Emma Stone did her own campaign inadvertently by the way she reacted when Lily Gladstone's name was called out because it was such an authentic, joyous reaction by Emma Stone. Mm. She was, like, thrilled to see Lily Gladstone actually win, as Emma Stone is notorious for doing. And, it's like, it was so instantaneous and so reactionary, it couldn't have been staged. It was, like, an authentic reaction. I think that endeared her to a lot of people anyway, as if Emma Stone needs to endear herself to any more people than she already has. But, I I mean... Every time Lily Gladstone speaks, it's it's a really cool moment. Every time Emma Stone's in front of a microphone, it's a cool moment. I think these are two women that uh, like people just love. I think they both deserve to be in this spot. I think it's a fun race for us as pundits to like watch two people that we really, really thoroughly enjoy duke it out for this battle. And they're not going to say a negative thing about each other along the way. And I, I, it's just... It's just fun I mean I, I we needed one of these acting races to actually be a race. It would have been kind of a lull even though I mean even though it's a fun year regardless because everybody seems to love Oppenheimer, it would have been kind of a lull to have all four races decided before we get into Oscar Sunday. So the fact that not only we have one of the biggest categories be an actual race for one, but for two have it be between two people that are like universally adored at this point, I think that's a really cool cool thing to add like a little cherry on top of what'll be this uh I think should be a successful Oscar Sunday in the celebration of Oppenheimer.
0: I'll give a few final nuggets though, real quick, but because I just don't, I want to talk about something both of you guys said real quick. Because, look, I think I want to explain myself on the poor things rationale. I don't know if the entire SAG body watched it because, uh, but look, it. I do think Pearl clutchers could clutch with the Emma Stone win. Still, I still think that's possible. The other thing is that it has not done well here poor things has only made 33 million here it's made 66 abroad that's two-thirds that's very different i would say than killers of the flower moon that it's somewhat even in terms of the box office uh but but you also i mean 67 to 89 but but you also have it playing on apple tv plus here predominantly here and i know that the screeners are out there but I think that does matter to an extent. I think it can be indicative of what's being watched in the overall box office. Sometimes I, I just I look at Lily Gladstone's performance there, and I almost wonder what if, like, what if the the thing we talked about with Jazz Tankay, what if they didn't shoot it from the top of the stairs, that reaction shot of her breaking down, they didn't shoot that top of the stairs lit by an oil lamp at the bottom of the stairs. That was her big scene, and they didn't shoot it up with a close-up. I mean, I almost wonder about the maestro characters like Carrie Mulligan and Bradley Cooper. Their humongous scene, their big argument was a one-shot all the way from the back of the door so they could, they could see Snoopy's float going by both windows, and you don't get all the the, the the juicy reactions of that performance because you're in a dimly lit room to showcase the windows backed up. So I'm I'm looking at I'm looking at this race here and I'm looking and I'm wondering a couple things. I'm wondering if I'm wondering if the international component is going to go back to Emma Stone because they love this movie like I like we had another guest on before we had The Box Office Boys. There's a lot of there's a lot of us perverts o- o- overseas Michael when and this is if this is the year of the pervert that we mean poor us could win. <laughs> You know what I mean? Uh, no, I mean I did just buy the Dune popcorn. <laughs> yeah, bucket. I'm not you're the one lie. with the Dune popcorn bucket, buddy, <laughs> <laughs> tweeting out about it. But I mean, the the Lily Gladstone narrative, of course, that is a tremendously important narrative, and and it might be part of the reason why she's in the lead category because Martin Scorsese and then Leonardo DiCaprio they rewrote the darn script to give her character much more screen time. And I did listen to the book, guys. The book is odd. It's an odd structure. It's 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 not based on the Jesse Plemons uh it's you know I I know you said it, it is more Jesse Plemons character based, but it is not based on that character. There's like a couple chapters focused on the FBI agent. There's a couple chapters, you know, leading into it focused on the town and like the, the, that narrative and then there's a couple chapters on the epilogue. It's almost like the three acts are just like different ways into this story. It's, it's very odd. and I, I give Martin Scorsese and uh, Mr. Roth there a lot of credit for the screenplay to be to believe it or not, but it's an odd story to adapt just in general. So yeah, they they carved out a lot more emphasis on the Lily Gladstone character to put her in lead here. So if she, if she does win that, that's a, that's a reason for it. But you have you have th- these two performances are wholly different. and we've seen we've seen the subtle performance buried in the past. And, and and like you said before, Scott, the big showy performance winning over it. But we've also seen the, you know, the just bare it all performance. We've only seen a few of those win. I mean, Kate Winslet in The Reader is the one that jumps out to me. We have not seen the big, you know, the the the, the sex forward performance win. So this this is a fascinating category. I just I think there's a lot of nuances to this race.
2: Yeah, and to go back, I don't know if we were going to go back to uh, RDJ, but. You know, I I actually, you know, the more I watched that movie, which I think I'm up to like four or five times, like that performance grows on me. And, you know, I voted for him and, and I will say that as much as I voted for him and was looking forward to him winning something that I had feared and that kind of put a sour taste in my mouth was that the idea that he would win and Killian would not um, was was something that I was just, as much as, again, I loved, you know, RDJ's performance, and particularly in, like, the last hour of that movie where he really gets to turn it up, um, like, I just think the idea that Oppenheimer was going to sweep the way it's sweeping Win all these awards, you know. RDJ was going to win this, then the other thing, and somehow Killian Murphy was going to be like the odd man out. And that being said, look, I, I thought Paul Giamatti was great and fine and everything like that, but and you know, I like Jeff, Jeffrey Rush as well or Jeffrey Wright as well. But I just I thought that like it would really leave a sour taste in my mouth if Killian, who is literally the face, like when they show. Oppenheimer on the poster it's him right and this has movie had such a great ensemble from top to down uh, top to downy you know Uh, Mm -hmm. and like but he is the one who the movie revolves around he's the one who created this character that we're following from page 1 and he is the script is written in the first person and so so now that it becomes a little bit clearer that he has a bit more of a path to victory at Oscar than we had maybe thought a few weeks ago I'm really able to enjoy Robert Downey Jr's steamrolling a little bit better than I was before because you know much like that year with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood like Brad was just anointed and like you know Joaquin Phoenix took best actor and like everyone just forgot about Leo. Like when I go and watch that movie, I'm like, you know, Brad is fine and Brad is great and Brad is cool. But like Leo is the one who's like really amazing in this Mm -hmm. movie. Right. And same thing for Oppenheimer, which is as good and as perfect as uh, as Iron Man is doing a Jeremy Irons impression during this movie. (laughs) Like I still think it's secondary to Killian. And I still think he and Matt Damon and everyone are working off of Killian. Same for Emily Blunt. Same for Florence Pugh. So the fact that Killian Murphy is hopefully going to win an Oscar and won at SAG, to me, just top to bottom makes, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s win all the more enjoyable for me. I don't know if you guys feel similarly. I don't know if you feel similarly about the Killian of it all. But for me, the fact that for the last six months, I was almost thinking, oh, wow, is RDJ going to be the one who gets like the collective sort of accolades for this acting ensemble and everyone else kind of just has to share, you know, um, and well real rightfully yeah, kudos, so kudos to not, you that man. will not be the case
0: yeah kudos to you you were all over killian taking this uh months ago when you're dming us but also on our show when we went over the nomination so kudos, kudos to you you were all over killian murphy you know eventually coming back to him here uh
2: but that came Scott. from a place to be honest with you of me just like <laughs> wanting it to be so, you know, like, Mm -hmm. which does not always happen. Very often not does not happen. It wasn't like a, Oh, this is going to like, Um, but it's just every time I see that movie and now it's, you know, what's funny. It's because sometimes you like, don't want to be the front runner. People get bored. They start voting for other people. Fine. Maybe that's kind of what happened here. And I just feel like, you know, everyone went to see this movie and they came out of it talking about the score and talking about Nolan and talking about Robert Downey Jr. And this and that. And now it's like, okay, now we're going to talk about Kelly Murphy, which is great. Um, Maybe that's what it was, but like, When I came out of that movie and, like, from the beginning of that movie, just, like, the way he's talking and, like – and I think now also when you watch him during these award shows, maybe this has something to do with it. It's like when you watch The Wire and then three seasons in you see, like, a YouTube interview with Idris Elba and you're like, wait, Stringer Bell is British? Like (laughs) – (laughs) <laughs> you, you almost forget the killing of it all. Like, he, like how much he created this character from like the posture and how skinny he was. And, and like because now we're seeing him, he's like filled out a little bit more and he's got like a gloss to his face. And he's sort of like, you know, obviously he's not like he's a little bit of a curmudgeon, but like he's being obviously he's just like completely different from this wide eyed kind of nerdy, but also charismatic womanizing kind of complicated guy, chain smoking, brilliant guy. That like you're starting to realize like oh like he was so good that you almost like come out of that movie thinking that you just watched like J. Robert Oppenheimer and a bunch of character actors and f- famous people in the other sh- in the other parts you know what I mean like Robert Downey Jr. is is also creating a character and does a really great job but he's always sort of like he's he's sort of doing a different version of Robert Downey Jr. so different that we're all loving it but like Killian Murphy to me like did something that I think. Isn't looked at the same way, but I put on the same level as like what Daniel Day Lewis did with There Will Be Blood. And like something sonically about the way he talks almost like sort of reminds me of that in the movie. Like, not the same way. And obviously, it's not coming from a place of villainry, which like Daniel Plainview is, but like there was just something about the way that he talks and the rhythm of the way he talks, and the way he talks about physics. And that's because, you know, it's paradoxal and whatever. And, and like you go and you see it, and, and the more you see it, you're just like, wow, this guy just really created this character and role, albeit based on a real person but a real person most of us don't really have like an entry point for and carried a three hour movie that's going to win nine plus awards so the fact that he was somehow going to be the one that didn't have one really just grinded my gears and now that i can finally say that's probably not the case like just makes me delighted
1: i thought this was a closer race than uh, vegas ever did like i i I felt like giamatti had all sorts of like momentum prior to sag's uh saturday and then I mean the, the the odds never reflected that. It was always Murphy still in the catbird seat, still in the driver's seat, still with the negative odds and and the vig you'd have to pay as the favorite, so and now he's like a prohibitive favorite almost between like -600 and -2000, which he should be after this win. Uh, it's it's not a I, I not a total sweep because he doesn't have critics choice, but I mean BAFTA, SAG, Globe Drama, yeah, he should be that high of a of a prohibitive favorite right now and uh, to your point, Scott. Like, yeah, it is because he is the face of the biggest movie of the year that's going to win all these Oscars. So, like, logic should dictate that he should be the front runner for the lead actor category as well. So, it's it's right to see him here, and he's at where he should be. That said, if you could find Giamatti, I mean, because I I I thought Giamatti had a lot of momentum. If you can find him at, like, plus 400, if you're looking to gamble on something, plus 400 to 900, which is you can find him in a couple books right now, that's where I would say to sprinkle a little bit of, of something. Like, I don't expect Giamatti to win. I think it'll still be money lost, whatever you put out. But because Giamatti seemed like he had momentum, that's where I would go with... Uh, I just think the value is good there.
0: I'm really glad that this performance is... Getting it's due right now, and I I can appreciate that. I'm just bummed a little bit because I love the Paul Giamatti performance so much. Who doesn't? Yeah. And I, I'm I'm happy for Killian Murphy, and I, I I'm happy for this fact too. Like this is not the typical biopic performance that we've seen women winning we've seen the big over-the-top capital a acting rami malik gary oldman type performance and and yes i i do believe the the lincoln is an all-timer and i'm i'm glad you you you're putting that one-to-one but even i i agree with you on this level scott like we have the lincoln performance that is a transformation that is constant that is nuanced and yeah maybe if you put christopher nolan imax cameras on uh on daniel day lewis or any actor for that matter you can get what you got out of killian murphy here just that the slow just sickening realization of what's happening and he's also duplicitous and he's got the poker face throughout and he got those big imax cameras on it so that this is almost a form uh, a function of the of this particular movie and, and the the production values as well but yeah we haven't seen i'm looking back through the lead actor list like capote was a big showy performance ray big showy performance harvey milk a big you know just force of personality and charisma like we look back at all of these uh these best actors and i don't know i can't remember i can't remember one i'm going all the way back down the list gandhi was total transformation maybe not even a one that would have been allowed today for Ben Kingsley for obvious yeah. reasons there. So I mean, looking all the way back, I cannot remember one like this winning. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm glad for it. But at the same time, like the, the, the Paul Giamatti performance, we've seen win a hundred times, Michael, no, right. like we've yeah. seen, that was a force of personality. That was, I mean, good God. I mean, we, we've seen that one. I mean, maybe I mean, the, clo- well, no, Eddie Redmayne transformed. So, I don't know, man. I just like this is, this is a, uh, it's not surprising.
1: I do wonder if Killian Murphy would be the front runner if Oppenheimer wasn't poised to like win, like Scott said, eight trophies, nine trophies on the night because it is that reserve performance. Like you said, Mike, it is held back a little bit. It's not the stereotypical lead actor performance. So, there is that attached to it but because Oppenheimer is going to be so successful and because Killian Murphy is Oppenheimer i mean he has to go into Oscar's Sunday as the front runner you would think like he's he's the guy he is the movie like Scott was saying he's he's in pretty much every frame of that thing and he's the one that shapes it and it's i mean for Christ's sake it's, it's his name it's his character's name on the title so it, it makes sense but it, it maybe it is getting this kind of shine for that kind of reserve performance specifically because it happens to be with a movie that's like the over under for the Oscars wins right now has to be like eight and a half, nine. He, he is the, it's the betting only favorite
2: Oppenheimer related race that kind of feels like we're still like Close getting enough. up to applaud it. Right. Yeah. You know, like uh, in that regard, it almost is a blessing that he wasn't sort of penciled in as, as such a obvious win because there's still some joy behind it. No, no pun intended with the divine joy Randolph of it all. But, um, <laughs> But I, so I just, you know, I do think, I don't know what you can still get on Killian Murphy if he's if he has moved into, it sounds like based on the Giamatti odds, he's moved into, you know, presumptive favorite territory. But I do know that, like, oh, fairly yeah. recently, you probably could have gotten him around even odds, right? Oh, or, absolutely. Or he it. was,
0: he was, you, you, Mike is right. He was the betting favorite despite Giamatti winning the media awards and the critics awards. That being said, yeah, he is now a presumptive favorite. Minus six hundred to minus two thousand. Uh Giamatti plus four hundred to plus nine hundred. So yeah, that's what we're dealing with. And then the odds are even even shorter for uh for, for ensemble here, guys. We have uh Oppenheimer poised to 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 take it home, especially after the PGA win, especially after the SAG ensemble win, winning everything, minus one thousand to minus ten thousand. So I was still betting on Oppenheimer. Anybody who asked, I was telling them I had Oppenheimer as my pick for SAG Ensemble here. I know a lot of people were going the Barbie route, and we were curious if Barbie could have taken Ensemble, but uh, it is uh, it is Oppenheimer all along this year. Uh, were, were you surprised, Michael?
1: I mean, you can't be surprised. I was expecting something else to win Ensemble just as like a you know, okay. hey, good job. Oppenheimer's won everything else, so why not? But,
2: no, you can't be
1: surprised that Oppenheimer actually won. Scott, did you vote for Oppenheimer? I
2: did, yeah. Mm. I, I just, like, I mean, to me, it's sometimes, okay, is it just a doubling of best picture? this that. But I just thought, like, for a movie where you know, and, and look, there's, there has to be a, a sub-conversation about why they do cut it off at all, but, like, uh, I thought what was interesting here is, and, and I think this was on the TV end as well. So these quote-unquote ensembles, they do have a cutoff point of who they include as far as who technically is up for the award. I can assure you that no one actually reads that list. Right. Um, so, like you know, I keep going back to the Crumholtz example, mm-hmm. right? So you know, he technically is not someone who you should. Again, I don't know if they are even saying do or do not take these people into account, or is it just that. They don't receive a statue, but he was on stage, you know, and when, uh, you know, the bear one like the, like every single person who was on that show was on stage. Now, I don't know if the TV rules are different because there's multiple episodes and this and that or whatever. But like so whether it's true or not, um, the top to bottom nature of these casts are being looked at by voters when they vote for the movie. Now, I thought this was a particularly strong year in regards to. Every, pretty much, and granted, I I I I misspoke. There's another movie I haven't seen. I'm not seeing the Color Purple, but. Again, another movie I can just, from afar, can tell has a very uh, top-to-bottom great cast. But, like, American Fiction, great ensemble. Killers of the Flower Moon, amazing ensemble. Barbie, of course, amazing ensemble. And Oppenheimer as well, amazing ensemble. And not just amazing in the typical, like, holdovers kind of way, wow, those three performances are good. Like, these are ensembles that, in many of these cases, at least three of them, are, like, ten deep. Oppenheimer is, like, 20 people deep. Like... I mean, just think of these smaller roles that are played by people you can't name, like the guy who ends up like making the bet with him uh, at the at the uh, Trinity thing where he ends up owing him five or ten dollars. I don't know that guy's name. He's great in that moment. Right. (laughs) Um, Josh Peck, who's like in this movie, Olivia Thurlby, who gets shouted out because apparently she became she came up with the Oppenhomies thing like these are people who are probably like. Twenty, twenty-one, twenty-three on 23 on the call sheet because you have people like Gary Oldman who probably go above them but was only in one scene, right? Um, and so, like, and, and what's funny is, like, you know, you get annoyed by who doesn't get put on the list, but even people like Matt Damon, who, you know, it's, it's funny. I went to this uh, talk a few weeks ago. Uh, they did a screening here, a very well-timed screening where they showed Oppenheimer and it was Christopher Nolan, Emma Thomas, and Matt Damon. And I got to talk to Matt a little bit after and, you know, didn't have too much of his time, but I had his ear for a second and I just wanted to say, I said, you know, don't take this the wrong way. Love your performance in this movie so much, it reminds me of like a Bill Paxton part. Like 20 years ago, this would have been Bill Paxton Mm. playing this part. And he Mm -hmm. was like, you know what? You're right. He's like, totally. And, you know, then we talked a little bit about how we both have an affinity for Bill Paxton, but like Matt Damon, who kind of. ironically this year kind of did it twice because he similarly does it in air, but kind of gets relegated into character actor form here. Like he's not like stunning leading man, Jason Bourne, Matt Damon here. He's not even like cool, slick, departed Matt Damon. He's, again, the Bill Paxton part, the, like, rough and gruff, but, like, is so is so good in those moments where he's delivering these lines, you know, where when the movie starts really moving and going from, like, okay, now it becomes, a lot of people have used the term heist film where it becomes the kind of, you know, build the team, you know, set up Los Alamos, right. whatever. And a lot of these, like, quick cutaways, like, end on a great line from either Damon or Crumholtz and, like, so, so even a Matt Damon, who, like, because obviously of his title card and his status in Hollywood is someone who's being, you know, honor for this ensemble. I really do think deserves his flowers for this movie where, again, Robert Downey Jr. and Killian Murphy have been the majority of the recipients of a lot of the love for this movie. So, Hartnett, of course, and uh, Florence Pugh and everyone like that. So, as much as I've I've made a big stink about the Crumholzes of the world and the smaller uh, parts of this getting pushed down, similarly on the Killers of the Flower Moon side, like even again these these like second, third, fourth tier parts in these movies that are played by the bigger names that are do have the representation that get them this SAG Ensemble Award that they get to take home, I still am glad that they're getting the regard. You know, I'm still glad that Emily Blunt is getting some residual love for this award here. So, I mean. I think that, you know, Oppenheimer is a movie that you could have in a different universe said, Oh, it's Christopher Nolan, it's well shot, it's got a good score, oh, it's gonna win sound. But like to me the acting is among the strongest parts of this movie, if not the strongest. So mm-hmm. I'm just glad that, you know, the the actors didn't decide to quote unquote spread it around just for the sake of spreading it around or just for the sake of honoring Barbie and getting them on the stage or whatnot. Another great ensemble for sure, and in any other year, maybe that would have won, but Just the same way I'm so glad that Parasite won that year, I'm really glad that this ensemble won. And that everyone, like like Alden Ehrenreich is another guy, like five, what is it, whatever it was, seven years ago, is was playing Han Solo. He was far enough down this list that he, I don't even think, was listed uh, as far as technically part of the ensemble that gets an award here, but he was up on stage there. So, whereas like Rami Malek, who's in, you know, less of the movie, was. And so, again, you can go back to the nuts and bolts of why people are, are part of the ensemble and aren't. There's a lot of chicanery there and a lot of Hollywood kerfuffly, but like... You know, either way, all of them were on stage. All of them were in, like, you know, deep in the back of my mind, uh, as I would imagine most voters' minds when they voted for this movie. So I'm glad that this movie uh, that had a tremendous ensemble was awarded as such. So, um, yeah. In case you can't tell, I'm pretty high on Oppenheimer. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I really do think it is one of the few times where the movie that was the best movie is actually getting yeah. it, it, pretty much it's due everywhere around where it deserves it, where people aren't picking and choosing spots to go. Well, since it's winning this and this and this, we're not going to give it this. Right. Like, look, if you really want to if you really want a nickel and dime, the visual effects snub, is that annoying? Sure. But like, OK, I'm fine with Godzilla minus one or whoever win visual effects. Who cares? You know, um, but like in every other regard, it's properly being, you know, you go back to some of these other movies. That, you know, like the famous Saving Private Ryan snub losing to, you know, Shakespeare in Love, which I think now over time has gotten an unfair shake where it's almost become underrated because it beat Saving Private Ryan. Same thing with The King's Speech. It's a very fine movie, but the fact that it beat The Social Network, like we're still always going to have these like huge blemishes on the uh, the Oscars sort of history where it's like some of these movies that show up on people's best movies of all time list didn't win the big one. Didn't win best director. You know, you go back to Argo winning best picture doesn't win best director, you know, uh, and then, you know, similar and you go back to who won best director that year. I don't even think it was Catherine Bigelow for Zero Dark Thirty. I think I, I think Ang Lee won it for Life of Pi, I think that year. Um, and another example there will be blood another one of the greatest movies of all time happened to come out the same year of no country of old men for old men so it's like that's not even the the oscars voters fault just couldn't do it you know and so it's to me heartwarming that like similarly recently with parasite which i also put in this category Again, I wasn't an everything, everywhere, all at once person. I know a lot of people were. I also just think that even if you like, I think even those people, if they're being serious people, as Brian Cox would say, would admit maybe in a different category of movie than Oppenheimer. I'm just, I'm, I'm just so thankful that Oppenheimer is getting the due that it's getting. Uh, so far, so good. Obviously, we have one to go, but we'll see how that goes.
0: Well, it's definitely in a different type of type of movie genre-wise. Of course, uh, the size of the production is very different so this is a return to the big hollywood blockbuster the epic and i like what you said there about the the cat they need to fix this at sag where they can go 20 deep on the the awards list so i mean what is it you're just you're just making more trophies you're just giving more uh tables
2: that's what i don't understand like why why is there a cutoff like we talked about the, the netflix of it and the show the show of it of all and like so similarly i like i was like you know talked before about the immemorium, how like the acting you know the, the, since it's only actors here we have the benefit of being able to honor so many of these quote-unquote smaller actors over the years and maybe actors that didn't make as big of a dent on the celebrity end but obviously we're you know big part of the Screen Actors Guild and acting and worked for decades and decades and you get to highlight them because you don't have to make room for the other people that on the Oscars end you're honoring the cinematographers and the publicists and whatnot similarly if you're going to have an ensemble category what is the point of making it only people with a title? card like that doesn't make sense to me that just doesn't it doesn't ring true to the name of the category. Doesn't ring true to the spirit of the acting guild and the, all these messages that people are saying on stage. Oh, it's your next gig and this and that and blah blah yeah. blah. And all the stories they're telling are the stories of them showing up to you know sneak into Robert De, uh, De Niro's office and getting kicked out and this and that. And there are no small parts, only small actors and all this this whole spiel they give. And then they're like, well, if you don't have a good enough agent, though, you're not actually getting an award. So it's like, and, and these people that that are there anyway, like
1: like you said, it. Krumholtz is on the stage anyway. It's not like they're saving room at tables and like saving seating by having these people not on the list. To well, and that trophies. I will
2: say, and I don't know if you've been following this narrative because Krumholtz, who famously just shut off his Twitter. Yeah, um, see that was 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 very vocal on, on Twitter this year about pretty much everything in his life. The guy has gone very, very it'd been an open book uh, and a great follow, by the way, but was very outspoken, especially early on about this and about this distinction. And I think people are sort of, you know, this year finding out about that. Um, I forget who it is on the Barbie end, but there's some pretty glaring omissions there, too i use the example of killers of the flower moon where pretty much Mm -hmm. every single native american actor or actress other than i believe uh lily gladstone and maybe one or two others are kept off this list because of that as well um and so like this is a year where I think people have kind of like found out about this uh, one way or another, whether it be social media or otherwise. And I do think that the Oppenheimers of the world and some of these other uh, films who do get to, I believe, decide who gets to come and who they share their seats with and hit sits at the table and whatnot. I think they've gone out of their way. If I'm, I'm, I don't know this for certain, but I have a feeling that like they've gone out of their way to make sure that some of these people are included more than maybe they would have been if it was up to just Netflix or the SAG Awards right. or up to whatever awards it is. Like, I do really feel like it's the Christopher Nolans and the Emma Thomases of the world and the teams behind these movies that are making sure that the Aldens and the Crumholtzes and everybody are invited, certainly, there if they can be. If they are there, they're at the table. They're not sitting in the rafters with the other people. You know, things like that um, because of the optics of it all, you know. Right. And I think... I don't know for certain but i do think that that is a bit of a reactionary thing to this becoming a bigger and bigger story than it has been in years past and i think the reason it's big of a story is to shine a light on these movies this year because of how deep these movies are and how absurd it is that say some of these people in parts that people remember so fondly aren't included whereas in past years like let's be honest with parasite like Parasite's kind of a six person movie, right? So it's very easy for all of those people to have been included in the ensemble because it's literally everybody, you know? Um, And and that doesn't mean that it wasn't a great ensemble and whatnot. But just in years past, we've had movies that aren't, quote unquote, as deep. It's not as egregious if, say, um, I don't know, Julia Butters or whatever didn't get a SAG award for uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or whatever, you know? So i think that this year is the year for whatever reason i think it's because of the deep casts and the deep ensembles that has really shown a light on this obviously you see the films doing their work and their part inviting everyone making sure they're on stage things like that i think sag now needs to do their part and not cut it off really anywhere like like for instance you know, I don't know if this works the same way, but I, uh, I have, have technically not not individually, but one I've worked on a show. I was the, the narrator of a show called Give. I was also the production manager, line producer of the show called Give, where we won the daytime Emmy for Outstanding Children's and Family Program. Now, very similarly, when a show wins an Emmy, there is a cutoff to how many people get Emmy awards and it's only like seven people. And the majority of those people not saying their work and money isn't important, but the majority of those people are like the studio head, the head of the production company, people who no offense to them are like, not even really ever on set. Uh, The investors, the people like the, again, the people Mm -hmm. whose names show up first in the credits, which is all fine and good, but like gets to the point where like the narrator of the show, not toot my own horn, but like you'd imagine like a show would have a hard time winning uh, an Emmy. If the narrator sucked, like the narrator is not getting an Emmy, right? The, uh, even the, you know, I think the showrunner might have even been cut off, but like the person like the the uh, person on the day who's running set is not getting one. But they have the option where you can order a plaque or whatever, or you can order or whatever. And this and that I don't know if the SAG Awards do that, but maybe they can do that. You know, either way, there should not be a cutoff per se, in my opinion, when it comes to ensemble, because mentally there is not a cutoff for how you're voting for these ensembles. Mm. Nobody, I can tell you, nobody is going. Although when you do vote, the list is there, by the way. Uh, I should have taken a picture of it. But when you do vote, like you vote online, it does tell you those names. Um, That being said, I guarantee you nobody is going and is about to click Oppenheimer and goes, oh, Alden Ehrenreich isn't included. Now I'm going to vote for Barbara, you know, right you know, or Sima Liu isn't, or, uh, uh, I'm going to vote for Oppenheimer. Nobody does that. So if nobody's doing that, screw the cutoff. That's, Fran, you did a great job last year. This should be your next order of business, Fran. I love it. I love it. Uh, that's a great
0: spot, uh, and, and it's full circle because we kind of came out, uh, you know, talking about the, the form of the show and coming out uh, with, with the end here where we're uh, – yeah, we're asking them to fix this. I hope they do fix it. But, Scott, thank you for coming back, man. Uh, we Absolutely. Uh, we love having you here. And, yeah, I mean, you could do this job very easily. I know you're uh, – you're you're doing uh you're doing great work at Challenge Mania, Challenge dot live, uh at shot of Jaeger on Twitter, at Scott of Yeager on Instagram. But yeah, talk to our people about what you got coming up. And uh, I know on Challenge Mania, the your your podcast there, you do spin off episodes on succession, on the Batman, on to some movie and TV stuff when you can, and it's always fun when you do. You do the wrestling spin-off show, but you you're also covering from soup to nuts uh challenge mania uh, and the challenge on uh on cbs right now right correct
2: well the challenge current well so it's everywhere it's mtv it's everywhere. cbs paramount plus the uh the season on mtv just wrapped up there's gonna be two weeks of reunion they're about to announce the next all-star season which will be on paramount plus the one that's on CBS is called The Challenge USA. That uh, is not necessarily set to return, but if it does, we'll be on CBS. But they're about to leave next week to go film season 40 of The Challenge, which should be uh, fun, should have a lot of familiar faces involved. But I am going to be doing an Oscar-mania uh, preview pod the week of the uh, the Good. Oscars uh, before that, talking about that. And I am, because I never did it at the time, and you can tell I have a lot of thoughts on it, I am going to be doing some sort of an Oppenheimer-mania podcast. Um, for pr- uh, polarity and parody's sake, I might do a bar- barbie mania as well but oppenheimer's just been very top of mind lately i have a lot to say about it so i think i'm going to do that this is something i would have done as you mentioned like in <laughs> july i just you know again being a card carrying member of sag felt a little weird of doing it rightfully because again sure the point of the strike is not necessarily so scott yeager the podcaster doesn't podcast about oppenheimer fine it's not really the point but it kind of is you know so you know you're you're not really supposed to you know you know, do that kind of stuff. Would they have cared? I don't know. Yada, yada, yada. But I didn't do an Oppenheimer mania in July when I probably would have normally. So I'm now probably going to do it leading into the Oscars when uh, all some of this other dust settles. So uh, look out for that as well. Awesome.
1: Beautiful, Scott. We can't thank you enough for joining us once again, man. Look forward to doing it uh, down the line again. Thanks, guys. As always, our thanks to our buddy, Scott Yeager. You heard where you can find all his work and what he has uh, coming up next. Uh, Michael, do you have any uh, any words of wisdom, anything you want to tell the good people about what's coming next from us?
0: Well, uh, it's definitely wise to follow Scott Yeager and ChallengeMania.live, as I mentioned, uh spot to go to uh, get tickets for the, the live shows and to figure out what shows are yeah. coming up. And then yeah, I mean I you know, I'm, I'm not a fan of reality TV at all, and yet I listen to the challenge you know, the Challenge Mania podcast quite a bit uh, yeah, with Scott there. Job. He does a great job. He does some spin off episodes. I even listen to some of the wrestling ones here and there, <laughs> you know, that those are fun and then uh yeah i mean i watched like the first season of the challenge back in the day and uh if, if there's somebody there i recognize and they're doing an interview that's always fun uh, as well so yeah it, it's a great show and scott does a beautiful job so it's wise to listen and to follow him uh, otherwise what's coming next from us is we got uh, we got an Oscar race checkpoint i think we need to do the indie spirits were really good mike you know we're going to watch uh, and recap those a little bit we got the dune 2 Fallout here, I mean, I, I watched it, I liked it I, I am surprised that I liked it, and I really did and I bought the bucket, and I I'm going full <laughs> Dune mode I, I'm just, I don't know, you're sickened by this but uh, yeah, yeah, I am, uh, uh I, I, i'm yeah, happy for you i guess <laughs> we got the mmos those are still locked and loaded that's a written show but if again anyone who wants to you know uh, submit more categories we keep pushing it back pushing it back i think we're going to try and record it this friday so if you guys uh if, if you want to get any categories you gotta by thursday got to get them in there otherwise we got oscar bets we got a final preview uh and we got uh the show recap and then a, a fallout episode that's going to you know, it's it's really cool that we're gonna you know talk to a few more people that we cite throughout the year uh, on the Oscars and get their final words. It's 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 always a, a thrill for us, and we're excited about it.
1: Absolutely. And as always, dear listener, what matters most to us are your thoughts, comments, questions, and concerns about anything we talked about in this episode with Scott Yeager or anything we talk about in the MMO Empire uh, at large. You can leave us all those on our social medias. We are Mike, Mike, and Oscar on Facebook and Instagram at MM and Oscar on Twitter or X, Mike, Mike, and Oscar at gmail.com.com And on Reddit, we're available wherever you do hear podcasts. And if you're listening to us on either the Apple Podcast or Spotify app, if you wouldn't mind leaving us a five star review, those help us out immensely. Please. Thank you to everyone who has done so thus far. Uh, you heard what's coming next from us already, and so as always, uh, what, what do I say here, Mike? When uh, well, I, I got nothing, I gotta, I gotta combine the endings, so I don't know what to say. <laughs> you can, you can with us, you know, you can with us. So what do I, what, what, what can they do with us?
0: You can expand the SAG ensemble list and recipient list and make more trophies with us for us <laughs> because we said so. I'm not Mike, good at Mike this part Oscar. of it.
1: When reality sucks, you can stumble through the ending with us. We are Mike Fucking Oscar trying to make award season year-round without the stuffiness. We will see you all very soon. See ya.